In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. You're going to go through stuff in life, but again, where's your focus? Where's your identity wrapped into that? And that's where he gives you that peace, that solemnness, that comfort in that. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the arena, Army. We We salute you. Hey, guys. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. And I'm here with our producer and co-host, Dale Colbert. As you can tell, we are not in the same office today. We are working remote to uh, please our wives and to please uh, all of those out there telling us we needed to socially distance ourselves. And so, hey, Dale, how you doing, my man? I'm doing really good. I didn't think about the whole we salute you. Oh, I did. Oh, man, I didn't. That was really. I knew we were going to botch that up. That was the worst (laughs) thing ever. And we've got an offensive lineman on our show. And uh, they 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 th- pride themselves on being in sync, and so that was a disastrous failure on our part. So I apologize to our guest, Chad. Hey, I'm really excited to get our guest on the show today. Uh, this guy uh, played in the NFL for I think he won three Super Bowl rings. Uh, he was all, he's also a, a pilot in the Air Force. I'm excited to hear about that. And, but mostly, you know, he's highly highly involved as a Promise Keepers board member. He will be opening up the Promise Keepers event this year. And Dale, you know how. God radically changed my life and my marriage forever in 1995 at a Promise Keepers event. So I'm really excited to get this guy on the show. But before we do, man, you got a man word for me? I do. And I was just reading through his bio and just checking out what he's done in his life. And one of the things that really stuck out me to was the word commitment. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 And uh, I see at one point he could have just gone off and just uh, played football, uh, but he made a commitment to our country. And he fulfilled that. Yeah. And so for that, thank you. So that's my word, commitment. We, men need to be committed to stuff. They need to follow through with it. You make a commitment, just walk it through. Well, you know, and even even when it doesn't feel good, and even when you, uh, you know, things go against you, you commitment is, is the, your desire and drive to stick to something. And I, I'm just really disturbed. I was doing a Bible study with my wife this morning in the, our, man, our man Bible with Gene Getz's Bible. And, uh, and uh, Gino's talking about marriage and, and commitment, and I've just, it's so sad how soft men are today in marriage. 
and the, just that commitment. Well, I don't feel love. Well, I, I, I fell in love and I'm not there anymore. Well, hey, how about rising into love? Right. After the three weeks that you fell in love, how about spending the rest of your life rising in love? And I think we're in a world that's pretty soft. And, and uh, I love that word commitment. It speaks to something that's resolute, firm, and unmoving. And so, hey, do you have a, a, a man, a, 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 when a man gets a story or a yeah, shout out? Yeah, we do. Like that well, got? we got this little thing from Jim, uh, Jim in Vermont. And it says, nice to meet you yesterday at Iron Sharpens Iron in Vermont. I really heard God speak through you to me. Thanks for praying with me, and please keep praying for forgiveness, wisdom, healing, and full restoration on my family. So that's pretty awesome, man. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I remember praying with him. He was a big Italian up in uh, Vermont. One of the few uh, events I got a keynote before we got it all shut down this year. So, yeah, Jim, still praying for you, brother. Hopefully you're listening to this podcast. So uh, let me know if you uh, got that job and how things worked out with your family. So, hey, I want to bring on our guest today. This is my new friend, Chad Hennings. And Chad is 54 years old. He's married to his beautiful wife, Tammy, for the last 30 years. Chad attended the U.S. Air Force Academy and was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, but postponed his entry in the NFL to fulfill his commitment to the, there it is, commitment to the U.S. Air Force, becoming a pilot of the A-10 Thunderbolt, a.k.a. Warthog. He won three Super after he came back from his military commitment, he came back and went back to the NFL played with the Cowboys, and won three Super Bowl championships with the Cowboys as an offensive lineman. Gotta love it. And after his retirement, he established Wingmen Ministries, which is a Christian ministry for men, and he currently sits on the Promise Keepers Board of Directors, and it's our honor to bring on our new friend, Chad Hennings. Chad, thanks for coming on, man. Welcome. My pleasure, guys. Happy to be on with you. I hope I hit that bio okay. We uh, kind of threw some different elements in there. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm actually, not to burst a bubble, but I was on the other side. I was a defensive lineman. Oh, okay. Well, that's that, that, No worries, man. We're all, I mean, I was a guy that was in the trenches banging away, whether it's on either side of the ball. We, we don't get much glory, and it's just filling gaps and filling holes. You know, I don't know where I thought you were an offensive lineman. Something I read made me think that. That's weird. I apologize. I think we have it because of our mutual friend, Brent Jones, was probably yeah. at being tight end that he was. And, and actually, I was. I was recruited to go to the Air Force Academy as a tight end. But then I switched over after my freshman year sp spring ball. So, so, so I, I always to play both sides. Okay. Well, so I got to ask this question. So what was your playing height and weight? My playing height and weight in college or the NFL? NFL. NFL, I was 6'6", six, six, I played in the 290s, so about anywhere from 290 to 295. Wow, that's actually in the 90s. That's a big, heavy defensive lineman, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays, that's, you know, they're in the 300s all day long, but that's, holy cow. And how about your 20, how many, how many times could you bench 225? You know, we, I never <laughs> did that back in the day. I didn't do the combine thing, but I think my max was, I did like 550. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny when you can tell when two guys from the 80s get together because the first question is like, how much you bench, bro? <laughs> <laughs> that is Five, bad talk. That is bad talk. 550 is super impressive, especially with a six foot six guy who's got the massive wingspan. Holy cow. You must be one of the top benchers on the team. Yeah, I was until Larry Allen got there who could do 750. And he was what? bench pressing Volkswagens. So he's, oh, my gosh. That guy was a man. 
But um, I, I have the elbow surgeries to prove it, you know, for doing too many power cleans and too much uh, heavy bench press. Yeah, bench press is no bueno. Then nobody even asks how much you bench anymore. It's all about functional movement and stuff. So, hey, Chad, hey, I'm glad you're on the show, man. Why don't you take a minute here and give us a little five-minute synopsis of your story, uh, anything that you think is pertinent, your personal life, things you enjoy, hobbies, anything else you'd like us to know? Yeah, great. Um, for me, farm boy from Iowa. Grew up great American work ethic. Family farm in our family for 135-plus years. Wow. Watched my father and my grandfather work, and that's really that work ethic what propelled me to kind of this performance-based mentality, both in athletics, in the classroom, because, you know, as a farmer, nobody's ever going to do it for you. If you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. Very biblical, very biblical. <laughs> but received the appointment to go attend the Air Force Academy, wanted to play Division One college football, wasn't necessarily highly recruited out of high school. Played tight end, as I said, my freshman year, switched over to the defensive side, ended up finishing, you know, did, did fairly well, both in the classroom as an academic All-American, as well as my senior year, won the Outland Trophy unanimous all-american mvp of a couple bowl polls and um did well but the aspect of commitment you know i grew up as a big john wayne fan you know and and with that you know your word is your bond and my my parents always instilled that aspect of commitment in me that hey i gave my word that i was going to serve my country even though i was drafted by the cowboys you know, they uh, had several individuals, unscrupulous agents, whatever. Hey, we can lawyer you up and get you out of your commitment. Let's try and go play ball. And I said, you know, no, I, I need to be a man of integrity and character and follow my words. So I went and um, wanted to fly jets. Being at the Air Force Academy, one of the only jets I could fit into was the A-10 Warthog. <laughs> End up flying that jet out of RAF Bentwaters Woodbridge in the UK and England for a couple years. And during that two years, I spent six months deployed out of Ensolik, Tur- Turkey, flying missions into northern Iraq wow. in the first Gulf War and, and uh, provide comfort and northern watch, helping the Kurds in setting up a no-fly zone in the northern part of Iraq. In 1992, our armed forces went through a reduction in force, which allowed me then they waived, not just for me, but across the board commitment time of individuals that I was able to get out. So I, my claim to fame, guys, in, in all reality, is I flew my last mission in northern Iraq in the early part of 92, and I played in the Super Bowl the same year. Whoa. That's how fast <laughs> life can happen. So I ended up playing for the Cowboys for nine years. Three of my first four years, we won Super Bowls. Um, realized that once a cowboy, always a cowboy. So I stayed in the North Texas area and have been in business here as a commercial real estate professional. I have my own company called Rubicon and have a men's ministry called Wingman and got engaged with the Promise Keepers because I think, you know, as the men of our nation go, so goes our nation. Absolutely. No, that's really good. So now the Warthog is also called the Tank Killer. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, that's the whole purpose of the plane was designed around a 30 millimeter Gatling gun called a Gow-8 Avenger. It shot depleted uranium, high, t- high explosive incendiary bullets, 4,000 rounds a minute. I could shoot a tank from 15,000 feet away and penetrate over two and a half inches of armor and immobilize that tank. You know, that's so what, three miles taking a shot. Wow. So it wasn't a, a cannon. It was a Gatling gun. A big Gatling gun. Yep. And how, how big were the rounds? 30 millimeter. So they're approximately, you know, you can see it on 
boom, but th- that's a 30 millimeter round, you know, my head. I've got a big Oh, big man. Head, so that's how big it is. Holy cow. That's all. Well, we do about 10, 11 inches total once the head of the bullet is on there. And that, that penetrates two to three inches into a tank armor. Yep. Holy cow. Well, hey, man, we really appreciate your service. So thank you for that. And it's great to partner with you. And one of the things, you know, we had a, a president of Promise Keepers, Vance Day, on our podcast about a month ago, Dale. Month ago? Yeah. Anyway, uh, he, he had some great things to say about Promise Keepers. I had my life radically altered. Uh, for the good in 1995 in the LA Coliseum event. And uh, so how, why don't you tell us, how, how did you get involved in Promise Keepers? And I think the question, uh, Chad, we're all wanting to know, is there going to be an event? How's that going? A month ago, we are locked and loaded, rocking and rolling, but so much has changed in our country. What's the status of the Dallas event on July 31st, August 1st in Fort Worth? You bet. Um, first, I'll share your former question. I got involved. Um, like you, I, I attended a Promise Keepers event early in the early 90s at Old Texas Stadium and was impacted. They knew Coach McCartney fairly well and saw the impact that he had and that it was probably one of the more pivotal events, particularly the meeting at the mall. We had 1.4 million men. It radically changed the lives of so many men, and we hear that today. And uh, I met Ken Harrison, the CEO, the chairman oh, of the yeah. board promise keepers. And then through him, I met Vance and it was one of those, just how guys meet and how sometimes God, the providential aspects of God, they'd asked if I want to serve on the board because through our conversations, they heard about my passion for men, for men's ministry and wanting to impact our our country, not necessarily through a political means, but through uh, grabbing the hearts and changing the hearts of men. Mm. Um, but promise keepers, we're still planning on, on moving forward with an event in some form or fashion, July 31st. Um, we're praying through that. There's so much, there's so many moving balls <laughs> yeah. that are, are in the air right now, whether, you know, we'll even be able to have it due to government restrictions. You know, we don't know. So we're, we're praying through that. We're seeking God's wisdom through that for his will. But, you know, I think promise keepers is going to do some form or fashion something july 31st and we're still planning on having an event at texas stadium until that changes we're moving ahead yeah that's well you know it's really really been interesting to watch just our ministry change in the last two months you know we've went to the zoom for everything and it's really enhanced our ministry and there's a lot of uh, we're moving into a normalcy with zoom and uh you know i bet you if you do a virtual event with pk you might you'd have (laughs) millions come on so you never know and that's the thing is that, you know, it's God already has a plan for what we're doing. And I have noticed through my church that I attend here in the North Texas area, as well as for my wingman ministry, we've had online events and our small groups that get together, they've exploded. I mean, they really have more men. It's just, I think it's, it's easier for men to dip their toe in the community. It's, it's less threatening virtually yeah. than it is face to face. So it's kind of an, a way to ease guys into it. And with the advent of technology, hey, let's leverage what the good Lord gives you, right? Yeah, well, we've got a, a forum with about 10, almost 10,000 guys in it. And we've got a group of 14 arena coaches that are on a thread. And, and these guys are from all over the country, New York, Florida, all the way across the country. And to watch these guys interact online, they form a bond that you almost can't form in real time. 
And I think a lot of guys probably wouldn't want to form it because there is some kind of threat. Uh, men just don't do relationships naturally like women. <laughs> there is a difference between men and women. That is oh, so true. Oh, so true. Well, hey, I've got a question. You made a statement I thought was pretty powerful. You said in 1992, which was the year I actually got married, you said you went from the Air Force to the NFL and won a Super Bowl. All right? Did you win a Super Bowl in 92? Was that that yep. year? Okay. That was the first 21 that season. So, so how difficult – I mean, that's one heck of a transition. How difficult – not only, not only in, not only in uh, the mental component, but you had to because there's a weight limitation in an airplane. You probably had to put a whole lot of weight on as well. So walk us through your physical transformation. Walk us through this transition from flying as a skinny six six guy to a D line giant weighing two ninety. You know how does what, 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 talk to us about this transition and spiritually. It, um, it was probably one of the most challenging things I've ever had to walk through. And, wow. and it's one of those things that I think God was preparing me throughout life. And I get a lot of those lessons learned through athletics, you know, up until that point in time. And the whole aspect of commitment um, was certainly through that. It was actually, first and foremost, based on my aspect of commitment was a difficult choice for me to decide when I had the opportunity, when they waived commitment, not just for me, but across the board to a lot of other individuals that were in the Air Force, a lot of pilots went to go fly for the airlines, whether I was quitting the Air Force and going you know, to play for the Cowboys. But I had a lot of wise counsel and individuals that shared with me that I could do more for the Air Force playing in the NFL than I could ever do as, as a pilot. Because and it proved to be the case when you know, John Madden and Pat Summerall would be calling the game and I'd make a make a tackle or make a sack or do something on the field. They, you know, circle Chad Hennings, former Air Force Academy grad, Air Force A-10 pilot. How the heck do you ever fit into that cockpit, you know, makes the play on that <laughs> one? You know, that's free publicity that you can't pay for, the Air Force yeah. can't pay for. But for me, from a physical aspect, I was based in England where if it got above 75 degrees um, in the summertime, people would die because they don't have air conditioning in, yeah. at homes. I mean, it was just crazy. And going there to training camp, which we had in Austin, Texas, would be in the upper 90s every day and, and high 60-plus percent humidity. I lost my first in that transition. I would, it wouldn't be anything for me to lose 13, 14, 15 pounds of water weight in a two-hour practice. And I'm a lean guy to begin with. And I would have to get IVs after every practice. And I learned that the hard way of, of uh, what that was like. Plus the physicality of just playing against these guys on, their off, on our offensive line, the likes of you know, Larry Allen, Nate Newton, Mark Tuane, Mark Stepnoski, these guys who are perennial all pros and some future Hall of Famers. Uh, uh, it was a, definitely a baptismal by fire. But, you know, it's that aspect. And believe me, I question. There are a lot of times I sat in that dorm room at St. Edwards University and I questioned, did I make the right decision? And mm. why the heck did I do what I did? But for me, it, it honed back to that whole aspect of identity. Who am I? What am I trying to accomplish? You know, the, the commitment. Okay, you made a choice. Let's stick with it. Let's fight through this. And, um, you know, eventually made the team and, you know, and for me, too, I guess, eating a lot of uh, pride in myself 
the mere fact that I went from being a, an All-American Outland Trophy winner, you know, projected first-round draft pick uh, out of college to a guy that just made the team in my first eight games in the NFL during that first season, I was inactive, basically sat on the bench, didn't even get a chance to dress out. And for me, it was like, okay, how am I going to get on the field? I went to Coach Johnson and I said, Coach, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll play special teams. As a defensive lineman, I'll run down kickoffs. <laughs> and eventually that's how I got on the field. He said, okay, here's your shot. And that's made the team end up getting in the rotation, then playing more and more on the field. But, you know, it's, it's to see a 200 at the time, I was 275 pounds. And I ended up at the end of the season being about, I weighed 300 pounds for about a day. I was a biscuit over 300 bills. And then I said, I'm too big. So I kind of honed down a little bit. But um, that was my first year. So it was a lot of transition. Well, and what you, there's a lot to be said in that. And one of the things I heard is you're in the military for four years. In other words, you're not playing football. And so you're coming straight off of the airplane into the uh, Dallas camp with guys who have not stopped playing. So you've got to almost relearn the game, I would imagine. It was a lot like riding a bike. Um, it was a little rusty at first. It was a lot of rust at first. But just struggling with the heat, the elements. Um, and Coach Johnson was – this was back in the day, too, when we actually had two-a-days, when you put on the pads and you actually went. And, every and hit day. with your head. Hit with your head. head. Yeah. And we uh, – and Coach Johnson would take advantage of the rules. I'm not saying – well, we, we did probably break a few of the CBA rules at the time. <laughs> but uh, because we wanted to practice. Yeah. But we, uh, we got after it. And, it, and it, again, it, it was a huge challenge for me. So at the time, uh, Chad, uh, Chad, were you a Christian guy? Where were you in your faith during this? And then how do you deal with this whole new world of the NFL and locker rooms and women and all this stuff? You were married. How, how did this, how did you do on that transition? Um, was married. Actually, we got married in 1990. So this is my 30th anniversary year this year. Um, we had been through a lot. My wife and I, she's been through about talk about a baptism by fire too. When we, we were married two weeks before I deployed to England for my first active duty assignment, she had never really been out of, she was from Colorado, not much out of the state, let alone out of the country. And oh, by the way, the first two years that I was in England being an A-10 pilot, we'd forward deployed to mainland Europe, Western Europe in Germany. And about half the first two years of our marriage, I was gone half the time, just wow. on deployments. And then transitioning back to the Cowboys, then um, we get to Dallas. I'm in training camp. I'm gone. And then once the season starts, you know, you're gone all the time for practice, games, etc. So the running kind of joke with my wife and myself, we never really got the chance to know each other until about four first four years <laughs> after four years of marriage. But um, – one of the things that, you know, having been, being in a fighter squadron is a lot like being in an NFL locker room. You got your ah. alpha, you got a lot of guys that quote unquote push the envelope a little bit and you, you learn um, how strong your marriage is. And then we were, we were both Christians. We were young Christians. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, Christian church, but it was mostly about attending church. And again, it's that performance-based mentality that I mentioned yeah. before. 
But being in that locker room and particularly being in the Cowboys, for those of your listeners who've ever read Jeff Perlman's book, Boys Will Be Boys, I had to actually read the book to see a lot of what was going on. We had some characters in that locker room. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, they're legendary of some of the stuff that, that they did. Um, and it, uh, the temptations were definitely there, but it was one of those aspects, again, commitment, man, it, 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 again, yeah. it goes back to that aspect of commitment. My wife and I, we made a commitment before God that we were going to honor one another. You know, believe me, the temptation is there, but being tempted is not necessarily, you know, sin. We're all tempted, but it's what do you do with that? Correct. And that's where we, um, I'm very fortunate. I'm a kind of a homebody. I didn't want to go out and hang out with the guys and, you know, do the clubs or do the bars or anything like that. I went home, but probably the biggest catalyst for me was after my third year, when we may get into this, my son, our firstborn, who was two and a half after the third Super Bowl win, got really, really, really sick. And that's mm. where for me, my whole life transformation changed forever. Yeah. Well, tell us more about that. So how does your son's illness impact your walk with your Lord and your outlook on life? And what year was this that he got sick? This was, uh, it was actually February 16th of 1996. Oh, it was wow. Literally just a couple weeks after we just won our third Super Bowl. And, you know, wow. we're riding high. But Chase, who was two and a half at the time, uh, woke up with a fever. You know, we were young. he's our only child. Take him to the doctor, the pediatrician. Didn't really know what's going on. Long story short, he ends up having an autoimmune illness where his body was attacking itself. And we spent a week in the hospital poking, prodding. Um, I had high, high fevers, rash, inability to walk. And it got to the point where it was the only point in my life I couldn't fix it. Whoa. I couldn't fix my son's health. I mean, either, you know, living in this great nation, you know, this pandemic that we're going through, it was that aspect that we, a lot of us are getting to feel that we're helpless. We, we seem like we don't have as men control over, over that aspect of our lives. And we don't flail well as men. And I didn't flail well because for, as a high performer, somebody that could fix it by my own work ethic or my own mentality and effort, it was tough. And being in that locker room too, you, I didn't want to open up to guys. I didn't have the relationship with my fellow teammates that said, hey, guys, I don't, I don't have it together. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. My son's ill. You know, he's, whether, I don't know whether he's going to make it. And I'm still trying to perform on the athletic field. It was an extremely difficult, again, time and transition for me. But it got to the point where God was had me right where he wanted me. You know, unfortunately, we live in a world where there is sin, there is death, there is illness, there is economic hardships. But um, he was holding me in his hands. And I realized who God's true nature is, that he's there, who, who my true nature is, and what my identity. See, my identity before this time was as a performer. Hey, mm. I'm a fighter pilot. I'm a football player. But that's what I did. It's not who I was. And I realized that, hey, no matter what I do, I'm a beloved son of a living God who loves me enough that he sent his son for me to take care of my sin, to, to make me righteous in God's eyes, to justify me. And um, that, for me, totally changed, transformed my life. And the fact that now I work not to be saved, I work because I'm saved. And that, that for me, was very uplifting. And, you know, we still, we went through that aspect of 
the illness of my son for many, many years, many years. And he never really fully recovered completely from that. But he graduated from college. You know, he's dating a nice gal now, but he had a lot of issues for the rest of his life that he's had to deal with because of medications that he had to take. And um, it just changes your perspective on life or what truly is important and why we are here and what we're called to do. So what was his uh, diagnosis? What, what was the autoimmune? And again, it was an autoimmune illness. And we think it was a reaction to an immunization that he had because it, he got sick shortly thereafter. Oh, and, did they ever uh, name it? Did they ever name I have a friend of mine who their daughter just found out she has ataxia, which is an autoimmune illness. Yeah. And so I didn't know if they had put a name on it for you guys or what. There's so many different names. He ended up testing positive for a lot of different um, heavy metal toxicity, et cetera, with surmising due to immunizations. But again, it's not necessarily quantifiable that you can one plus one equals two. But uh, regardless, we found great medical treatment and he's doing great now. And, you know, praise God for that. But when you're walking through that walk, it, it, it's tough. And that was what made me realize that I need men around me. I call my wingman. I need men around me that I can form those transparent Christ-centered masculine relationships with that will be there that can, you know, accept the firm and, you know, hold me accountable in my walk. And that's really, you know, again, that's what attracted me to promise keepers. Promise keepers can be that catalyst to ignite men. That's okay to hear stories, to be motivated. They can have that mountaintop yeah. experience, but then what? And that's where ministries and peer ministries like yours, like Wingman, like you know, what Promise Keepers is coming out with their uh, their platform, their app that they're going to have to form these fire teams around the country. You know, we can have these great events, get everybody fired up, but the bottom line, the day to day grind, you need those relationships with guys, and that's where you know, it's not rocket science. It's rocket science. We just need to find guys that we connect with and walk through life with them. Find your Wingman. Well, that's so true, <clears throat> especially during these days. We call it social distancing, but uh, as I've talked to men, it's more socially isolated. And a, a guy, when he's isolated, you know, First Samuel 11, 1, I think it is, where King David, it says, uh, when the kings go out to war, David was on the roof alone. Well, and then everything went to hell in a handbasket. You know, the social isolation, guys really need to lock arms with other guys. I want to come back to something you said, Chad, and... Uh, <clears throat> Before we do that, we're going to take a minute and hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org give us your email and we'll send you a free pdf version of the field guide it's jim's 365 day bathroom book for men it's the study of manly words in the bible illustrated with great stories this is also a great resource for all our arena men We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So, Chad, you talked about uh, not being able to fix your son's health and being a a performance-based guy. 
And I, I love our country. I, I mean, I'm, I, I bleed red, white, and blue. I mean, I, uh, I have an American flag flying out right now. I uh, love our country, love our military. You know, when I look at America, I think there, we have, uh, as believers, been taught a false narrative. Uh, when I was a young man, my grandpa used to say, Jimmy, he was a full-blooded Portuguese. Jimmy, real men, walk fast, eat fast, talk fast, and carry a pocket knife. And I thought, you know, so I live my life thinking if I walk fast, talk fast, talk, you know, work fast, then, then that is kind of what men do. You know, we're taught men perform, men accomplish, men finish. But when you read the life of Jesus, like when you really read the life of Jesus, we have to sit back as America and think, okay, maybe I this American dream is a false narrative. Can you walk us through what you've learned about that? Yeah, I mean, there's I've, I love to read. And there, there are a lot of... Um, great books out there from both on sociology as well as um, just um, economics, you know, for reading Austrian school of Hayek, the Austrian school of economics, reading about a sociologist, Max Weber, who turned the century wrote a lot of stuff on one, why American, you know, the spirit of capitalism and the Protestant work ethic. Um, uh, Jonathan Haidt has written a lot of good stuff too on on, on why we need this aspect of a strong identity. Hmm. Um, but what, you know, what Haidt talks about is he references a, a study at a turn of the century from the 19th to the 20th century of a French sociologist named Emile Durkheim who studied communities in Western Europe. And he found, what Durkheim found was that where there wasn't a common moral foundation a common sense of purpose and identity, there was a decrease in happiness and an increase in suicide in those communities. Now look mm. around. You mentioned, not to go off, but you mentioned the isolated male. I'm more concerned, more, more concerned, not about this coronavirus in this time of pandemic. I'm more concerned about suicide rates, substance abuse, domestic violence that is going on in our communities because of men that have been formerly isolated or now are in roles of, they can't control their environment. Their identity is wrapped in what they do or, or how much money they make that they put themselves, you know, put themselves at risk. And that's why these ministries such as what we're talking about need to prevail. But one interesting thing back to um, the American dream, what made the American dream succeed from a capitalistic standpoint, I don't want to get too academic here, but what I found from Max Weber had said was what separated a lot of the um, merchants in Western Europe where capitalism exploded was because they had a, their identity was in a strong uh, Christian initiative. Wow. Before the church would look down upon merchants as second-class citizens, third-class citizens, because they exchanged money. But they realized that these merchants, their identity was wrapped in Christ, that they realized that their talent wasn't necessarily to be deprived their soul and be a monk in a monastery, but their talent was in making money. But they made money for the glory of God. And they brought that, that ethic, the pilgrims and the, the Quakers brought that ethic to the U.S. And what made us who we were is because as a nation, we had a strong identity that was wrapped around their faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ. And they realized that they were good at making money, but they didn't buy into the greed. They didn't buy into the aspects of, of materialism. They kept reinvesting in their businesses and they maintained that identity in Christ. 
Now, we're, what, what has happened in our nation over the last several years where we've gotten away from that? Are we a Christian nation anymore? Yeah, we're a pluralistic nation, but our values were all based on a Judeo-Christian ethic. And that's what, I don't want to say we got to get back to, but that's what we got to strive for because that Judeo-Christian ethic is what keeps us all in balance as men, as businessmen, etc. That's our identity is that. So if you have a strong identity, you know, as Durkheim said, increase in happiness, suicide rates go down, etc. And, you know, kind of we keep our country in balance. Well, you said earlier to have a common moral foundation. And that common moral foundation rests on the rock of rocks, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, anything we do uh, in business will be for the glory of God. I've got a very successful Christian, Christian businessman friend of mine, and he, and he rebuked me one day. He goes, I'm not a Christian businessman. I'm a Christian who does business. And he's a commercial real estate guy like you. And that was interesting. Well, you know, you brought up a really interesting point too, Chad. I don't know if you know this, but since the coronavirus hit our country, alcohol sales are up 243%. So what does that speak to? And I, I, I don't even know. We had Sam Black on our show uh, a couple weeks ago, and he is the president of uh, Covenant Eyes. And they are very, very concerned about the porn use with men during this season with, when men are isolated. Uh, and, they, and maybe, I think this is a real time of the testing of a man's true faith in Jesus. Amen. You know, and it's, and again, it's a cultural aspect in this, why we need organizations like Promise Keepers to step up to the plate too, Yeah, is because men, their identity, whether that's toxic masculinity, whether that's, you know, who am I as a man? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a masculine man? I mean, there's so many individuals that are, are confused with that. And that because of that effeminization of our culture with men, and our, at times, you know, helicopter parenting where we don't allow our kids and young men to, to struggle, to face pressures, to go through life, that we, we fix everything for them, participation trophies, etc. We don't get a chance to work out through what it means to be a man. Being a man means, again, commitment, standing up to your word, you know, sometimes suffering, but laying it out there and being a provider, being a protector. And... Um, you know, even before this, I think this virus has just peeled the Band-Aid off the scab or peeled the scab off the wound. Look at our – anytime that people would face an issue in life, self-medicate, drugs, porn, yep, um, other cocaine, heroin, whatever it might be, fentanyl, um, oxycodone, because people don't want to deal with pain. And, again, it goes back to identity. You know, Jesus – what Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. You'll have strife. You'll have turmoil, but take heart for I have overcome the world. You're going to go through stuff in life, but again, where's your focus? Where's your identity wrapped into that? And that's where he gives you that peace, that solemnness, that comfort in that. Well, you know, it's really funny, Chad. I was uh, driving uh, to Wyoming with, uh, to a deer hunt with my dad in 2017, 2018. And we got in the car and we were, it, was, it was dark. We had had dinner and he said, he let me drive his rig. And so I'm driving out there and I told him, I said, dad, I think we need to go to the hospital. He said, why? I said, well, my hands are on fire. Something's going on. My hands are on fire. I don't know what's going on. He started laughing. I go, no, seriously, we're in the middle of nowhere, like 200 miles from Missoula. We need to go to the hospital. He goes, no, no, no. My steering wheel is heated. 
<laughs> and I, I realized we are addicted to comfort. Yeah. And you you said a couple minutes ago, you said we don't want to deal with the pain. But, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I, I, I pray for this. 2 Timothy 3.12 said, says, for the godly in Christ will be persecuted. And so maybe we should be praying for pain and not trying to avoid pain. And as an athlete, you know, you're the, you're a top level athlete for, uh, you know, most of your young, you know, young life. I mean, pain is not something you avoid. Pain is something you lean into. Can you talk to us about leaning into pain and building this moral fiber and moral commitment as a man? Yeah, there's, as athletes, you're always taught there's a big difference between pain and injury. Yeah. You deal with pain. It's a mental state. You're going to have pain. It's going to hurt. But there, you got to know the difference between that and injury. If, if you're going to hurt yourself, man, then, then you back off, then you, then you walk it back. And that's the same thing in life. You know, I have learned more through my struggles and obstacles I wasn't able to overcome and the pain in my life than I had through any victory. Mm-hmm. You know, I make a contention that it was easier to climb that, that, um, ladder of success to be a Super Bowl champion to go through those struggles and that's what defined our relationships and our character and our culture and our locker room than it was to stay on top mm-hmm. you know continue to repeat because when we were you know that's when the wheels fell off the bus when you continue to have success and success success people lose sight of the struggle of what it took to get there and yeah. I think that's where we are in our country today most certainly is affluence People don't have to struggle anymore. And that's where I kind of embraced these times of strife because the church did not grow when everything was rainbows and butterflies, right? The church exploded in Rome when under persecution. Look at the church in Iran, in, in China, in North Korea. It is exploding because of persecution. And that's where you always say, like Bonhoeffer talked about in the cost of discipleship, your faith has to cost you something. What does it cost you? Are you a spectator sitting on the bench, just happy to go along and just punch that ticket to listen to your pastor give a sermon on Sunday? No. What are you doing? Cheap grace versus costly grace. What is it costing you? I mean, it, it's and that's something that I look at and I'm like, man, you know, as a guy that's a performer, there's that balance of, again, I don't work to be saved. I work because I'm saved. And, and we as men, what a perfect opportunity to get off the bench and get into the game right now and impact your family, your community, you know, and your country. Yeah, I love Ephesians 2.10. For we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are, sa- we are saved to serve. Well, you know, I think it was a historian, uh, Tertullian, who said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And I, and I look at... You know, I look at somebody's uh, 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 churches. A lot of pastors in this country are afraid to preach a gospel of pain and a salvation that that wrecks your life. <laughs> you know, I mean, God wrecks your life and then puts it back together again. There's a deconstruction that has to happen, and we need to be very honest with our people when we're we're preaching that and with men. Hey, men, if you get your life, if you know, our saying is when a man gets it, everyone wins. Hey, man, when you get it and you go home, guess what? Your wife, who's been praying for you for 20 years to get it, is, is going to fight you. The very wife who's been praying for you to get it is going to fight it now because she's got to give back control. And, and there's a whole dying that goes on. There's a pain involved here, a forging, if you will, that, that, that we, need to, 
we need to invite men into that space and say, this is going to hurt. I don't know, man. I, I'm just ranting a little bit. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love it. I love it. And that's, you know, you look at a lot of, I mentioned several countries where the church is exploding. When those people make a profession of faith, they fully understand and are willing to die for that faith that at some point in time, they, they could be found out and they could be murdered, executed for their for sure. faith. That's why I, my, my mantra, my verse that I, I love, and I think it's been my personal verse, and I think I share with so many men that I can, is 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where Paul says, gives that Roman greeting, be watchful, stand firm yeah. in the faith, act like men, be strong. You know, that's, that's your call. Be a man. Be a man. Get in the arena and be a man. Thank you for that get in the arena analogy. I love it. Well, that yeah. word he uses when he says act like men, I don't know if you know this, uh, Ch- Chad, but in the King James Version, it says quit you like men. Act like men. Quit like men. Well, how do men quit? They don't quit. How do they act? They keep pressing. And it's the only time in the Bible that Greek word is andresade. It's the only time in the Bible that word is in there ever. And that word literally means, wait for it, man. <laughs> you know, It was not written for women. It was written for men specifically for men. So that's so good, man. Hey, we are, uh, we got a few minutes left and I want to really, I want to talk about your organization and I want to push that out there to the guys. And will you talk about wingmen? And uh, I love that it sure is appropriate for your career in the military. You know, why did that get started? Why did you start it? How did it start? Walk us through the process. You know, as I alluded to earlier in in the podcast that for me, it was not having those relationships with other guys those masculine relationships where I could admit yeah. that I had changed my armor, where I could truly, you know, as you say, open up the kimono and say, Hey guys, I don't have it all together. So that was the impetus of me out of a need reaching out to a pastor friend of mine and just saying, Hey, I got some questions on, you know, God's nature, God's character. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, I made a profession of faith. Now what do I do with it? I don't, I don't want to, it's not my nature just to sit back I want to be a man and step up, right? So through that, we just, we started meeting regularly. We started to invite other guys and it just kind of grew organically into this organization. And we thought about what are we going to call ourselves? And I thought, man, the perfect thing is the the word picture, the metaphor to use is is a wingman. Because anytime that I would fly in the Air Force, whether it's training or a combat mission, I'd never go solo. I'd always fly with with another pilot or a group of pilots to execute a mission. And every time we fly out of a combat zone, whether Northern Iraq, when we get back into safe territory, we do what we call a battle damage check, where one guy would look over the other guy, look for any physical damage, any hydraulic fuel leaking, whatever it might be. And then if we had an emergency, which you know, I, I actually did in my first ferry mission, ferrying a jet from England to Turkey, uh, just south of the island of Crete, I ended up losing an engine over the Mediterranean Sea. And I had my, I was flying with a four ship of A-10s. And these guys worked together as a team to get me down safely to land. Where all wow. I had to do, I had to concentrate on flying my jet. And one guy did the radio calls. One guy walked through the emergency procedures with me on shutting down the engine. Another guy navigated. And we worked as a team. And I go, man, that is a perfect analogy for what we need to walk through life as Christian men. When you're going through it, whether that's divorce, bankruptcy, abuse, substance abuse, or whatever it is, your wingman can be there. All you got to do for the guys going through it is just concentrate on you, getting you better. And your other guys can help 
with communication, with advice, with just being there to restore your brother. And um, that's where we are. So what we're all about is discipleship, bringing guys together to form those, as I said, transparent Christ-centered masculine relationships. We do that through small groups as well as we put on, I call larger corporate events where we bring in speakers, uh, former professional athletes, military special operations guys, business leaders, guys that have a cool story to share and to motivate guys. But the, the lifeblood of it is that one-on-one interaction and those small group ministries. And that's where the true transformation happens. Do you find that those events are better in the morning or early, early morning work at, before work or in the evening? Depends who you're talking to. You're an older guy. I know. That's, that's why I'm asking you. Millennials, it's in the evening. Older guys do it the morning time. I know. That's a... And those guys that have kids, you know, I get it. You know, you got your kid, your kids off to school and you want to be there for dinner, get them to bed, whatever. So, you know, you, you got to be flexible. And, and it does, I, for me, my whole aspect, I tell my leaders, I said, I don't care, guys, your small group. I got two criteria. Keep it Christ-centered. Don't get in the denominational theological weeds and do a work in the community. Do prison ministry. Just get together and, and impact your community. And do it. Just walk through life together. And I don't care where you meet, what you study. It doesn't matter to me. It's the relationship building that that's key. No, that's really good, man. I really appreciate that. So you said that you uh, you wanted to find a place where you could admit you have a chink in your armor. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's really interesting. Then you said later on, you said, I want to be a man. It's really interesting. 6'6", 295-pound NFL, uh, three-time uh, Super Bowl champ, war hero, I call all of our soldiers war heroes, so I'm calling you a war hero. You know, all these things, I mean, you epitomize uh, a man's man. But one of the things that we've recognized, I think you just said this, is that, you know, uh, we can look at a a guy who has the stature of a man, but he may not be one. How do you you work through this chink in your armor? You know, what is your – I don't know if you'd be willing to share your chink, but what is your chink? And and why is it so important for men to to put that out on the table – as a masculine offering to other men? I'll put it this way. When um, being a a veteran, I was very concerned about after the first Gulf War and then subsequent for the last 30 plus years here of post-traumatic stress, our guys coming back and being wounded spiritually, emotionally, because a lot of times these guys had to do stuff that, you know, thou shalt not kill, you know, just reconciling with that aspect of, having something happen to you or a guy or an individual that you really care about that you couldn't control, you couldn't deal with that. And coming back and realizing one of the, the number one therapies and modalities of treatment for an individual with PTS, post-traumatic stress is to communicate, is to talk, to talk mm-hmm. it out with somebody that you respect just to help you process and rationalize. And again, what a perfect word picture for so many guys that, that I know for myself to realize that when I'm going through life, that maybe something happened to me, maybe it's something I did in my college years that I'm not proud of, or maybe something that I was abused as a kid that I'm, you know, that I couldn't, I didn't have control over. The number one therapy works the same to talk it out with other guys that can empathize, can be there with it, not necessarily to fix it, but just help you process through that. And that's where, um, you know, it's, it's, I did a, a, uh, public service announcements for the Marines many years ago on that. And I made an analogy that when I'm on the athletic field, and if you can realize this, or you can empathize with this, is that when you get sprained an ankle, what do you do? You didn't suck it up. You went to the trainer. 
You went and got treatment, you got ice, you got heat, you got whirlpool, you got massage, whatever it took to help you get back on the field. Same thing with post-traumatic stress or same thing when stuff like this happens to you, you got to get treatment. It's not, it doesn't make you lesser of a man. It just means, hey, I need to be the best self that I can be. And if I'm dealing with this, I can't be my best self. And it doesn't mean that I don't have it together. It just means that I got to deal with it, just like anything else in life. And I go back and, you know, it's just, it's those metaphors in life that just keep coming back for me all time and time again, that if it works for one group, it can work for any other guy out there too. No, that's good, man. Well, you know, you talk about being your best version of you. You know, you can't be your best version without other people. If you can be your best version alone, trust me, it ain't your best version. So I really liked, uh, I went and watched your video on your homepage and on your homepage of Wingmen, I think it's wingmen.org. You said, uh, you're about calling men to something greater. So I, I love that phrase. So what does that phrase mean to you, to call a man to something greater? For me, it's realizing that aspect of identity. Calling them something ah. greater is to realize that you are a true son of the living God. If, if, you know, if you confess by your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what, guys, it, to realize, for guys to realize it's not your job. It's not how much money you make. That's not how you keep score from a, a kingdom-based economy perspective. To be your best self means identity. And then at, add on top of that integrity. That's what living a life of excellence is all about. Knowing who you are and whose you are and walking it out in integrity. It doesn't matter what you, whether you're a coach, whether you're a podcast host, whether you're a real estate professional, professional athlete, doctor, lawyer, teacher. It doesn't matter. As your friend said that, you know, he's not a Christian businessman. He's a Christian who does business. It's just perspective. Mindset. I, I, yeah. I love what you just said, Chad. It's not about, it's about who you are and whose you are. And I think <clears throat> sometimes I think we make Christianity way too complex. You know, if there is a God who made me, who created me, who loves me, who has a mission for me, how, how can I ever expect ever that I can be my best version without radical devotion to him. And I think men in this time in our history are being slapped in the face with, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? What would you say to a guy right now who's, who's asking this question? Do I trust God? What's the measurement for that in your opinion? Um, you got to, depends upon the filter that you view God. I mean, is it through yeah. a biblical perspective or is it a worldly perspective? Because the world tells us, you know, your God is not a God. Look at all these people who are getting sick and dying. Would a loving God do that? But then they don't mm. ask, haven't read the scriptures regarding the aspect of free will and, you know, what Jesus, we just, you know, you're going to have trouble. You're going to go through the battles. Yeah. So for me, that's, that's what the, what is the filter in which you view God? And that's where I had to struggle through for me personally. And yeah, just a lot of times bad that happens to you doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Exactly. Well, yeah. Here's one of the tenets that I'm sorry, get me fired up here again, guys. No, I like one it. One of the tenets that I give my kids is one of the Proverbs just says that God disciplines or disciples those whom he loves. And for my kids, I tell them that I discipline, I disciple you because I love you. I don't want to see, I want you to be your best self in doing, going down the path you're going to go down. You're not being able to be your best self. Well, it's interesting that you quoted that verse because that's out of Hebrews 12. 
And when you read the first part of Hebrew 12, you know, it says, you know, therefore, since we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that easily entangles and run with perseverance the mark race marked out for us. And it continues and leads up to this thing of discipline. You know, we have to have discipline because we're in a race and the big fat guy is not going to be able to run as far as the guy who's lean and who's who's thrown things off and who's, who's worked and fought and was disciplined in the process. You know, and that's how do you get when you get when guys pray, God, give me faith, increase my faith. How do you get increase your faith? It's by being challenged. Do I believe what I believe? Yeah. Am I disciplined in that? And that's it's God is brilliant. Is he not? Look at that. Oh, it kind of just comes together. I, I just love how God forms us and fashions us, you know, and we're running here short on time, Chad, but I want to go back to your website and on your website, you said something very powerful. And we've addressed it a little bit here, but I want to just give you a chance to dive in deeper. You said it's about talking about wingmen, wingmen.org. It's about helping men form relationships. Why, 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 why do we have to keep saying that to men? <laughs> the women you, don't ever you, have to say that. <laughs> you hit on it because that's how we're wired, man. We don't <laughs> want to admit we have changed and it's, it's difficult for us to, uh, to form those relationships. And, you know, being a very worldly sense, you know, back in the day when I was a young, exuberant young man, you, you walk into a bar and what's the first thing you look at? You know, you're looking, you're sizing everybody up. Who's the big guy? Who's the tough guy? How yeah. much do you bench press, right? Yeah. And, and that's how we keep scoring. But, you know, that's not the relationships. Yeah, we, we kid each other, but it, it, it takes effort and it takes commitment and it takes taking chances, risks, to form those relationships. And that's where we want to give guys a, you know, one of the things that we talk about in our small groups, as well as at our corporate events is we, we apply the Vegas principle. What's said here stays here. For sure. And we're very, we're very um, strict in that too, that you don't be blabbering the stuff that you hear. It's, it's confidence. Again, it's, it's being committed to that relationship. What does that look like? And when guys get a taste of that, Man, it is so freeing. You can see how their lives totally transform when they're willing to take a risk. And when they see the fruit on the other end, you got to change life. You got to change man. That's so, that is so good, man. We just, you know, I, I wish that guys would get that. <clears throat> that was one of the one things I really appreciate about Vance and our, our, our conversation with Vance, who's the president of Promise Keepers. This Promise Keepers is really saying a little bit different message in the 90s. They're saying, hey, this, this macro event is great, but we've got to have these micro events and these organizations all around the country. We've interviewed, I bet you we've interviewed 100 men who have nonprofit ministries for men now and just to see that, that, that impact. So last question, Chad, why PK, why Promise Keepers, why now? Let's close on that one. Amen. I, I see pro Promise Keepers because of the good name that it has had and the impact that it had, but it's new one and new wineskins. Yes, it is. What happened back then is, is not going to translate now, whether it's going to be a, a live event this time or a virtual event. Regardless, we need to give men the permission to be men. And I think Promise Keepers, because of its reputation and platform that it had and that it has, going to give men to be that spark, that catalyst to ignite a flame in the hearts of men to take responsibility, to be a man, to lock arms with other men and to make change. Promise Keepers is not the end all. It's an event. That's all Promise Keepers is. But it's what do you do after you've had that, that fuse has been lit, the keg's going to explode. 
Now it's time to step up and be men. I really appreciate that, man. So, hey, guys, I want to <clears throat> encourage you guys to go to Chad's website, Wingmen. That's at Wingmen, Wingmen, not Wingman, Wingmen.org. And then also check out the Promise Keepers website. Now, help me out with that website address. What is it, Chad? Hey, Promisekeepers.org also. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> you gotta, hey, we're football players. You got to keep life simple, right? Well, I would like to say one too many hits in the head, but I, I don't, I'm not going to go that way because I still think we should be able to tackle without looking like a rugby player. So, hey, hey, Chad, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I sure appreciate you, uh, your wisdom, all you're doing, man. We're really excited about wingmen and promise keepers and all the things coming up here. So, uh, hey, how do our guys uh, – what's the best way for our guys to get a hold of what you're doing? You name the website, wingmen.org, or they can reach out to me. I have a website, too, just chadhennings.com. Great. Thanks so much, man. Hey, guys, let's get our boots on the ground before we leave, men. What's the next step? What action will you take uh, because of what you've heard today? And so as I was listening to Chad, here's your, here's your action. Here, here's your boots on the ground. We'll also post it on our weekly equipping blast for men. We want you to get into some kind of virtual group. Uh, right now during this season, we can't meet face-to-face. Find a virtual community. We have a prayer time that meets with men from all over. the. Literally, we have a guy from India who just joined all over the world uh, Monday mornings at 8. Uh, get on one of Chad's groups at wingmen.org. Find a virtual ministry that you can lock arms, arms with <clears throat> so you can become your best version in Jesus Christ. Hey, Dale, what's up next, buddy? What do you got for me? Yeah, I would like to ask you guys to head on over to iTunes and uh, give us a positive review. Those really help us out a lot. And if you don't know how to do that, you can always email us at info at org and just let us know uh, how the podcast or the blogs or any of that has impacted you. We'd love to hear those stories and celebrate them. So until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.